The title of this sermon is Speak of the Gospel to the Lost. You know, as I was preparing to preach this sermon, I thought of how often I would speak of the gospel to unbelievers when I worked in the medical field as a technician. I had so many conversations from day to day. I met so many different kinds of people from so many different kinds of backgrounds. And I thought about the contrast to now that I'm a full-time seminary student and I do not find from day to day the opportunities that I had when I was working full-time in the medical field to speak of the gospel to the lost. I mean, that's just pitiful, that's sad. But you know what? I'm responsible for that. And I nor any minister of the word should think that preaching in corporate worship, though unbelievers are present, is an excuse for speaking of the gospel to the lost. All that to say the need to speak of the gospel to the lost is just as important for the minister as it is for the church member. No one is exempt here. All of us need to speak of the gospel to the lost. And this sermon is a doctrinal sermon whereby we will contemplate evangelism. One theologian has defined evangelism as simply this, the articulation of gospel facts. And I think this definition is very helpful because it covers not only what is conducted in the public preaching of the word, but also what is conducted in the plain speech of the gospel. Think with me. Not only does the Apostle Paul evangelize as he preaches in the Oropagus, but Paul evangelizes as he speaks to King Agrippa. When the minister of the word preaches from the pulpit in corporate worship and he articulates gospel facts, he is evangelizing in corporate worship. Or when the minister of the word preaches in the public square and begins to articulate gospel facts, he is evangelizing, you can say, on the street. But when the ordinary Christian opens their mouth and begins to articulate gospel facts in conversation with an unbeliever, whether that be in the home or outside the home, in the workplace, in the airport, at the park, wherever it might be, they as well, like Paul before Agrippa, are evangelizing in conversation. You see, evangelism, in other words, is simply to speak of the gospel to the lost. The one main point of this sermon is not an indicative. It's an imperative. You and I need to speak of the gospel to the lost. We're going to look at Colossians 4, 5 and 6, and 1 Peter 3, 15. And this sermon will not be a complete exposition of these texts, but we'll consider what they teach us about speaking of the gospel. This one main point will unfold under just four thoughts. Speak of the gospel to the lost, redeeming the time. Speak of the gospel to the lost, redeeming the time. Second, speak of the gospel to the lost, setting apart the Lord as holy. Speak of the gospel to the lost, setting apart the Lord as holy. Third, speak of the gospel to the lost, always with grace. Speak of the gospel to the lost, always with grace. And finally, speak of the gospel to the lost, always ready. 
speak of the gospel, always ready. First, my brothers and sisters, speak of the gospel to the lost, redeeming the time. I know for many of us, when we hear the word time, we're thinking about the next thing we need to do. Maybe you all are thinking about that even now. Perhaps it seems that we just don't have enough time in the day. And we hear that time is short. And what do we often do? We just live in a rush from one thing to the next, from day to day, from week to week. We try to do as much as we can with the little time we have. Not suggesting that there aren't unique seasons of life, that there are busy seasons of life, that there are times in our lives when we are providentially hindered from carrying out certain tasks. But I do think, if we're honest with ourselves, it's easy for us to think that filling the time is redeeming the time. But those are actually two different things. You see, in Colossians, the Apostle Paul, after asking for the prayers of the saints in Colossae, exhorts them to walk, or we could say live in wisdom towards outsiders. We're considering Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. You see, what Paul is saying is that the saints should rightly apply what they know to be true. They have knowledge, but wisdom is the right application of knowledge. Paul is telling the church to be careful to rightly apply what they know to be true. And this was actually his prayer for them. If you turn back to Colossians 1.9 briefly... You'll see there he writes, For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. You notice that word wisdom there? It has the the conjunction and, and spiritual understanding. This isn't a worldly wisdom that Paul is referring to. This is a spiritual wisdom. And if you notice at the beginning of verse 9, This wisdom is the result or application, or we could say it's the fruit of being filled with the knowledge of his will. So you see, Paul desires that the church have both knowledge and wisdom. Imagine it this way. Knowledge without wisdom is a head without a body. The professing Christian without wisdom is just a dead, rolling head. And wisdom... Wisdom without knowledge is like a body without a head. The professing Christian without knowledge of God, of the truth as it is found in Christ, is like a dead, headless body. So with this in mind, think back to Colossians 4, verse 5. Paul is telling the church, the whole body of Christ to live applying or adorning, or you could say wearing those truths that they confess before outsiders. Think of the knowledge of God's will as clothes you need to wear. Paul is telling the saints, wear them, put them on. Let the outsiders see these clothes. These outsiders are unbelievers, those who are lost and without Christ in the world. These are people who are not trusting in Christ alone to save them from their sins. These are people who do not know the God who is truth itself. They do not believe. They are under the common curse. They are enemies of God and bondage to Satan. Now think about Paul's language of redeeming the time. Again, look at the first words of verse 6. Let your speech. Let your speech. The apostle is still referring to those outsiders in verse 5. 
And I hope you see the connection here. He's getting at redeeming the time. And I'm convinced that according to the context, redeeming the time while including our walking, our conduct, our life, also involves our talking about the one who saves sinners. It involves our speech about the gospel. Speaking of the gospel to the lost is part of redeeming the time. Remember here that redemption refers to purchase. Think about it. The one outside is, as Paul wrote in chapter 1, verse 14, an enemy of God in bondage to Satan. And they need to be redeemed. They need to be purchased. They need the payment that only Christ can provide. And Christ's sacrifice was that payment. And this is the Christ that we speak of. This is the Christ that you speak of to the outsider. We speak of his person, the eternal son of God who became flesh, the God-man. We speak of him who is the only mediator between God and men. We speak of his work. We speak of his sufferings, of his humiliation. We speak of his glory. We speak of his incarnation, how the second person of the Godhead, very God of very God, was born of a woman, born under the law, born under the common curse of it, born to redeem, to buy out all those who are under that common curse. We speak of his sinless life, of his perfect obedience. We get to speak of his death upon a cross to pay the penalty for the sins of his people. We speak of his burial for three days. We speak of his resurrection from the dead. We speak of how he appeared to many witnesses and then ascended into glory, the God-man, and how he is seated. He is seated now, ruling and reigning over all things. And he is on his way back. He is on his way back to judge the living those who believe, and the dead, those who remain in their unbelief. This is the Christ. This is your Christ. This is the Christ of whom we speak. Beloved, this is your gospel. Yes, this gospel should be promoted in our conduct, in our prayer, in corporate worship, in giving to support our ministers. In all those ways, we promote this gospel. But are you redeeming the time? Are you speaking of the gospel to the lost? There's so much we need to do. We all have things that we need to do. And there's so little time. But let us find the time. Let us make the time to speak of this precious gospel. When was the last time you spoke to your unsaved family member about the gospel? When was the last time you spoke to your neighbor or that coworker or that stranger that started some small talk in the store about the gospel? Parents, when was the last time you spoke to your children about the gospel? I've learned that times of correction, while sometimes very stressful, can prove to be excellent opportunities to speak of Christ. There we are reminding our children of their sin. We're reminded of our own sin, our own disobedience. And we're reminding them that the only way that they can enjoy obedience unto the Lord is in Christ. 
And you have family worship. Family worship, another excellent opportunity. If you have little ones, it may be a short time, but it's the perfect time to speak of the gospel to your children, to walk through those gospel facts with them and to call them again and again, day after day, repent. Turn from your sin and come to Christ. Speaking of the gospel to the lost is part of redeeming the time. And so I exhort you, go, redeem the time and speak of the gospel to the lost. But along with this, speak of the gospel to the lost, setting apart the Lord as holy. Look at 1 Peter 3.15, just the first part there. 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord your God in your hearts. In your hearts. Perhaps for some of you it is a familiar verse. We usually hear it with reference to defending the faith or what's known as apologetics, but what do we read there? Before the apostle Peter encourages the saints to be ready to give an answer, he writes, but sanctify the Lord your God in your hearts. Other words for sanctify are set apart. In the Old Testament, there were objects, there were days that were set apart. They were put aside from what? Common use to special use. But Peter here is not talking about a material object or even a day. Peter says to set apart the Lord God and that the Lord is to be set apart in our hearts. Now, this doesn't mean we make God holy in any way. We cannot. God is holy in and of himself. But setting him apart as holy in our hearts within this context means speaking of the gospel to the unbeliever. As one theologian writes, referring to Isaiah 8.13, with reference to this very text, he says, By declaring and proclaiming his holiness as the seraphim in Isaiah's prophecy and the four living creatures in the Revelation did. This proclamation, if you notice in 1 Peter chapter 2, is not the proclamation of the sent minister. If you look at verse 9, it's the proclamation of the church that you, referring to the church, may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is a proclamation of praise by the saints. Part of setting apart the Lord as holy in our hearts is to open our mouths, to speak of him. And as we speak of him, we are proclaiming his praises. And notice here, that Isaiah mentions the example of holy angels. To speak of the gospel to the lost then is to proclaim his praises as the holy angels do in heaven here on earth. Our friends, the holy angels, are an invisible means of grace, examples sent to support us, sent to encourage us. We were just singing about this. He commands his angels to guard us and watch over us and to fight with us in worship as they never grow weary of proclaiming God's praises. You and I grow weary. I grow weary. They never grow weary. What an example to encourage our hearts that he has given us. The holy angels. Sanctifying the Lord in our hearts then is not limited to only speaking the gospel to the lost but we cannot say it is less than that. 
And this becomes even more apparent as the verse continues when Peter writes, and always be ready, look there, to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Saints, speaking of the gospel to the lost is an act of setting apart the Lord as holy in our hearts. Think about it. If he has saved you, you believe he is holy. You believe that he is master, that he is your creator, that he is your redeemer, that from him and through him and to him are all things. This is what you believe. So when you speak of him to the lost, your speech is a form of praise. It's a form of praise to the Lord. Have you ever been in the presence of someone who is rightly defending your case? Have you ever been in the presence of someone who is telling another what they thought of you? When they spoke of you, they spoke well of you. They praised you. In that way, by example, your name was, so to speak, set apart for special use. And though God does not need our setting apart because he himself of himself is blessed forever. Nevertheless, your speech and my speech about the gospel to the lost honors him. It glorifies his holy name. Like in Isaiah 8, 13, when we speak of him in his gospel, we are telling the unbeliever, it is the Lord, it is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy. We're telling the unbeliever, he shall be your fear. And he shall be your dread. Beloved, do you regard the Lord as holy? Do you, like Isaiah, know that you are a man of unclean lips? That you live among a people of unclean lips? Have you, like Isaiah, had the burning coals of Christ's blood and righteousness touch your lips, so to speak? Cleanse you, wash you of your sins. Then speak of him. Speak of this gospel to the lost. Tell them about the Son of God, even as you wrestle for words and pray, even when you feel discouraged afterwards. Perhaps you did not speak as you wanted to speak, but nevertheless, you opened your mouth. Remember that speaking of the gospel to the lost is setting apart the Lord as holy in your hearts. It indeed is a form of praise. When you're telling that outsider about the one who is holy of himself, you're telling the Lord, yes, you are holy. And in doing so, you're honoring your God. But if you're going to speak of the gospel to the law, sanctifying the Lord as holy in your heart, you're going to speak of the gospel to the lost always with grace. Always with grace. Turn back to Colossians 4 verse 6. Colossians 4, verse 6. Let your speech always be with grace. Think about it this way. If we're redeeming the time and sanctifying the Lord in our heart and those acts are the work of God's grace in our hearts, how could we not speak graciously? I mean, the result is inevitable. If our theology of speaking of the gospel carries with it that we are redeeming the time, that we are setting apart the Lord as holy in our hearts, we are going to speak of the gospel with grace because we are recipients of grace. 
Colossians 4, 6 reads, Let your speech always be with grace. And I believe this refers to at least two things. Sustaining grace and the subject of grace. First, I believe we learn about sustaining grace here. We learn here that as we speak, we should be depending on the Lord's grace to sustain us, to strengthen us, to grant us courage to open our mouths and speak of the gospel to the unbeliever. Along with this, I think there is a sense here that gracious speech should be characterized by winsomeness, by persuasion. It ought to draw attention to the subject and not distract from it. How often have we heard men and women speak of the gospel and their speech is more of a distraction than a help? Growing up in a big city, I saw a lot of street evangelism in the city of Chicago where these professing Christians were more of a distraction than anything from when they chose to speak, the, the time of day, or where they chose to speak in loud and busy places where people are just trying to rush to get home and they have their AirPods in and they're not trying to listen or talk to anybody to how they spoke. Many of them spoke and sounded angry or they just sounded too soft, too timid. All of it, though, was what I saw most of the time, a turnoff to people. They didn't want to listen. They didn't want to stop and hear. And those who stuck around often, uh, I found, were joking. They found it and to be entertainment, something to make fun of. Another thing to remember here, mocking and rejection will take place, and it's hard to face. So what do we need as we speak of the gospel to the lost? We need sustaining grace. We need to be depending on the Lord to give us the grace to open up our mouths and to speak with patience, with, with long-suffering, knowing that we're going to suffer, and to do so from our hearts with sincerity. But I also believe with grace refers not only to sustaining grace, but the subject of grace. We learn here that God's free acts and works of grace should be the subject matter of our speaking. What is gracious speech if not speech about the one who is full of grace and truth? If speaking the gospel to the lost is done with grace, how can it not be done without speaking of Christ? When we speak about the gospel to the lost, it should reflect the scope, the target of the sacred scriptures. Who's that target? Christ. The focus of the faithful proclamation should be reflected then in our speech about the gospel. What did Paul write earlier at the end of Colossians 1.28? He says, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we might present every man mature in Christ. He says, for this I toil with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Now, we have to make a distinction. The one who preaches, of course, is sent. Romans 10, verses 14 through 17, a signature text, a very important text. The one who preaches is sent. And this applies to street preaching. If a man is going to preach, he must first be tested and then sent as a gifted brother, to open up his mouth and declare the excellencies of Christ. This is a very important statement. One to hold close in order to apprehend evangelism from the public proclamation of the word. 
While all preaching of Christ involves speaking of Christ, not all speaking of Christ is preaching of Christ. While all preaching of Christ involves speaking of him, not all speaking of him is preaching him. Nonetheless, Christ is the focus of faithful preaching and Christ should be the focus of faithful evangelism. Speaking of the gospel to the lost is to always be done with grace. And if it is to be done with grace, its target is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But notice Paul adds the words in Colossians. He adds the word always, always. This means there is no room to be speaking about the gospel to the lost in any other way. Our speaking of the gospel to the lost shouldn't be characterized by disgrace. It shouldn't be characterized by rudeness. We've heard it said the gospel is already offensive and our talk shouldn't add to that necessary offense. I mean, think about it, what we're telling people. We're telling them that the God who loves sinners is holy, that we are not holy, that we have not loved God, but that the holy son of God, that he came to save sinners and only those who repent of their sins and believe upon him will have their sins forgiven, will receive that imputed righteousness We're also telling them that all who do not repent, that all who do not believe, while under the wrath of God for now, will undergo the eternal torment of the damned in hell forever. If we're being faithful to speak of the gospel, the whole gospel, and nothing but the gospel, this is what we're telling them. I think most of you know that how someone says something matters. It changes the way that you receive it. If you're presenting bad news to a friend, you aren't going to raise your voice and speak with an angry tone. You're going to tell them the news with a tender tone and perhaps even with tears. And if you're presenting good news, you're not going to present that news as if you're half asleep with the tone of boredom, indifference, or hesitation. You're going to tell them that good news with excitement. You're going to tell them that good news with eagerness, and there's going to be a sense of Urgency, I need to tell you this. Finally, note that Paul adds right after this, seasoned with salt. Seasoned with salt. In Mark 9.50, when our Lord speaks of saltiness, he refers to having peace with one another. That's the context. Isn't that what we want when we speak to the lost? I'm sure many of you have eaten bland food. Maybe some of you like bland food. Um, I'm Puerto Rican. I do not like plain food. But when our speech does not pursue peace, that's how our speech tastes, so to speak. The salty food, flavorful food, that's how your speech tastes when you speak to the lost wanting to have peace with them. More than this, wanting them to have peace with God. Saints, when you open your mouth to speak of the gospel to the lost in your life, always let your words be gracious. Let your speech be that salty food that pursues peace. Saints, if speaking of the gospel to the lost is redeeming the time, setting apart the Lord as holy in our hearts, and to be always with grace, then finally, you must always be ready. You and I must always be ready. 
Turn back to 1 Peter 3.15, if you are able. 1 Peter 3.15. And note what the apostle Peter reminds the elect exiles of setting apart the Lord as holy in their hearts. He writes, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. The apostle exhorts suffering saints Saints who are in trouble. Saints who are undergoing pain. And he exhorts them to always be ready. Think about Peter's history. He speaks from learning the hard way. Was was Peter ready to give a defense when he was questioned by the maid in the courtyard? He wasn't. And what did Peter do afterwards? Luke records it, so Peter went out and he wept bitterly. This is the apostle who later, by the aid of the Holy Spirit, he went on to repent and speak boldly of the gospel to the lost. This is something we all need to be ready for, both the minister of the word and the church member. Saints, I have to ask you, are you ready? Are you ready to be questioned? Are you ready to give answers for this faith that you confess? Are you ready to give a defense of the truth of the gospel? But I want us to think about this a little further. The saints are to always be ready to evangelize, to speak of the gospel, but notice how this speech is described. I'm reading from the New King James Version here. Defense. Defense. It's important to note that the word defense does not suggest the following. It's important that we understand this. Defense does not suggest that our speaking provides certainty or authority to the Holy Scriptures. Why? Because Scripture possesses divine authority itself, God being its author. Our defense does not contribute certainty or authority. Second, defense does not suggest that our speaking provide reasons that men may believe the Bible to be true. Some people get this wrong. Our speaking does not provide reasons that men may believe the Bible to be true because the grace of faith is how we believe the Bible to be true. Our defense then does not contribute believability, you could say. It doesn't contribute authority. It doesn't contribute believability. So what does our defense provide then? Your defense and my defense provides Clarity for our sake. Clarity in our understanding so that we are able to discern the truth from error. So that men may be able to discern those who possess the truth versus those who, as Paul says in Titus, contradict the truth. You know what the biggest religion in the world is? Syncretism. That's just a fancy word for the mixing bowl of different religions different systems of thought. But our defense provides clarity so as to avoid unnecessary dismissal, to avoid significant misunderstandings, false assurance. Our speaking of the gospel then is theological. When we speak about God, we are doing theology even though some contradict it. We need to remember here that our speaking of the gospel is taking scripture, which is already divinely authoritative, and already received this true by faith, 
and doing theology, making that which is already authoritative, already received by faith, understandable for our sake and for our fellow man. And we do that. We do that by applying grace to reason, thinking and speaking from the scriptures by faith in our Lord. But what are we defending? What are we speaking about? Romans 1.1 says the gospel of God. And this gospel is described here by the words, note there, the hope that is in you. The hope is really the confession of our hope. It is our confession of that which is already authoritative and received as true by faith. That's, That's a confession. As the preacher to the Hebrews writes, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? For he who promised is faithful. You see, we don't hold a confession to make our confession faithful, trustworthy, or dependable. We hold the confession of our hope because he, our God, is who he is, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, all-wise. It's because of him that we hold this confession. Saints, when the anguish of your souls arises from the fact that what you want to be is not Remember that God is, by his essence, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, all-wise, not only for himself, but for you, his people. Our confession, what we speak, the gospel that we confess should remind us of such precious truths. This defense doesn't mean you should be able to answer any question about the faith or that you should be able to answer the kinds of questions your pastor should be able to answer. You don't need to be ready for an ordination exam. No, this defense refers to an always ready speech about the gospel. As one theologian wrote, the ground, the foundation of the Christian religion, the first principles and oracles of God. And we might ask, what are those first principles? The answer is very simple. What God has done to save sinners through Christ. Do you remember what the Apostle Paul told the church in Corinth in his first letter to them? He said in chapter 15, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. I just want you to notice a couple things briefly. First, what Paul declares to them in the letter, he also preached to them. Second, what Paul declares to them and has preached to them, they, the church in Corinth, received. What is declared is received, and what is received is confessed. This is what it means to hold fast. This word received is important as it shows up again in verse 3 there when he gives a summary of what he is declaring to them. This reception then is a reception of tradition or the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. As one commentator wrote, he said, simply passed on, he, Paul, simply passed on what he had received. This is the accepted language for the handing on of tradition. This tradition is equivalent to a confession of faith, a summary of what the church believes that the Bible teaches. You want to always be ready to speak of the gospel? 
Here it is. Know these truths right here in 1 Corinthians 15. And you know what two excellent tools you can use as you do so? The first tool is the primary means of grace, the faithful preaching of the word of God. Listen carefully to how your pastor or that faithful minister express gospel facts and how he extends the free offer of the gospel Lord's Day after Lord's Day. Follow him as he follows Christ. The second tool is the Baptist catechism. You want first principles? You got all those first principles right there in a bite-sized form. So I encourage you, take it up. Make it a Sabbath day exercise. Memorize two questions and answers each week. And in less than a year, you'll have 114 questions and answers memorized. And how fast, how quickly will you then speak of these precious truths, speak of the gospel with those unsaved family members and co-workers and friends? And in this way, brothers and sisters, you're joining with your other brothers and sisters. You're joining with them who confess this faith throughout the centuries You're joining with those who were martyred, whose tongues were cut off to speak of the gospel to the lost. Saints, there are millions of people lost in the dark, millions of people searching for the truth. But you and I have the truth. We know the light of the world, we possess his gospel. We know the good news concerning what God has done to save sinners through Christ. So let us take this command and lay it up in our hearts and put it into practice in our lives. Let us not shy away from what our Lord has taught us today. Let us feel the weight, feel the responsibility that belongs to every one of us. And let us speak of the gospel to the lost. Let us go and redeem the time. Let us go and set apart the Lord as holy in our hearts and do so always with grace and learn to always be ready always ready in the words of Peter to give an answer for the hope that is within us. Let us be ready to express what we confess, the truth as it is found in Christ. And if there be any here today who has yet to believe upon him or who thinks they have believed upon him and yet remain resting upon their works, My unbelieving friend, if you do not trust in Christ alone, you will die in your sins. You will experience the just and eternal torment of the damned. So what are you waiting for? Come to Christ. Turn from your sins and come all the way to faith in Jesus Christ. All who believed are promised the forgiveness of their sins. All who believed receive his perfect righteousness. All who trust in him are promised life eternal. Don't wait. Come to Christ. Beloved, we have everything we need. We have everything we need, so let us go out by the grace of our triune God and speak of the gospel to the lost. Would you bow with me? Our Father in heaven, we do confess that we have not spoken as we ought, that we have not redeemed the time as we ought, that we have not set apart your name as holy in our hearts as we ought. We have not spoken at times with grace and at times 
At times we have been weary of opening up our mouths and have remained silent and thus proven that we are still learning to be ready. Forgive us, O Lord, by the merits of Christ and render to us the grace that is in Christ Jesus to open up our mouths and as we speak to others to recount that gospel which is your power unto the salvation of everyone who believes that gospel, which is your power unto our salvation, that we would treasure your gospel, O Lord, until we experience the full and final fulfillment of all of its promises in the beatific vision of you, when with all the saints and all of your holy angels, we bless your name forever. Until then, we ask for grace to be ready to speak that hope that is within us through Christ, our righteousness, our refuge, our strength, we pray. Amen.